and welcome to the God in the Wild series on the Idlewild podcast channel. God in the Wild explores the faith journeys of members of our community at Idlewild Presbyterian Church and how they see God at work in their lives. I am Elizabeth Doolin, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to God in the Wild. My name is Michael Cannell, and I'm the summer intern at Idlewild Presbyterian this year, and I'm interviewing my father, Mark Cannell. Um, we're at our house in Memphis, and it's July 11th at 2.09 p.m. Um, so we're going to go ahead and get started. So my first question is, tell us about your experiences with faith growing up. Well, thank you for having me here today. I'm really excited about the opportunity to share my story with you. So I would say growing up, so I grew up in northern Indiana. And to kind of maybe put it all in a nutshell and then unpack it is to say growing up, uh, faith was pretty well defined as always doing the right thing or going to church. So <clears throat> people who were faithful people always did the right thing and always went to church. And so, you know, I didn't grow up in the Presbyterian church, grew up in an evangelical church, but the the thing that I think I understood about faith growing up was that uh, there was a, a set of rules, a set a list of expectations that you you needed to follow and and I think the the interesting thing was that there was a lot of pressure to have that kind of faith or to define faith in that way and I think growing up I, I think I probably would have you know bought into that way of thinking wholesale if it wasn't for my mom and dad's willingness to discuss things or to ask questions. So we would, you know, be around the dinner table and we would ask questions about kind of why do we do this? And <clears throat> and it was okay to disagree as long as you disagreed respectfully. So, but, you know, I think growing up, and how those things changed was, I think a lot of it had to do with getting outside of my, uh, of my little world in Indiana and being exposed to different people from different places mm-hmm. who thought different things and, and having that mentality of, it's okay to question, it's okay to consider another viewpoint or another option about something. That's definitely something that I think you taught me and my sister, Maddie, when we were younger. It's something that I think you took from your childhood, probably into ours. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and ask the next question because it leads really well from one to the other. Um, How has your understanding of faith and who God is evolved over time? Mm -hmm. Well, um... So I think as a child, I had a childlike idea of who God is and what is faith. 
And <clears throat> as I've grown older, I think my views of who God is and what is faith ha have definitely evolved. But then at the same time, I think there's some things that haven't exactly changed. So I guess to really, to really look at it, you know, I think a lot of children have, you know, picture of God up in the sky and, you know, sitting on his throne. And, you know, if you do good things, he loves you. If you do bad things, he's probably going to punish you. And, and I think, you know, I think probably as I've gotten older, what I've found is that my understanding of who God is has diminished a lot to where I'm comfortable not knowing a lot about who God is and what he does. And so, you know, actually having gone through seminary school and spending a lot of time discussing those questions, uh, I'm very comfortable with, you know, being able to say, well, I don't know. I don't know what God thinks about this. I'm not God. And I'm okay if the answer is not clear. Hmm. Because I think <clears throat> that having a more rooted faith in what God is trying to do in the world and what the world is and what my place is in the world, uh, that kind of faith allows me to say, I can't speak for God. I don't understand what he's trying to do. Uh, I don't have all the answers to all the questions, but I'm okay with that. Right. I'm comfortable with not having the answers. How do you think that happened? Like, do you think it was just a gradual thing or a natural process, or was there something that really prompted that? Uh, I'd say a lot of it goes back to experiencing uh, a lot of different points of view in the world. Mm. You know, having lived in America, lived in Europe, lived in West Africa... Uh, seeing that so many different people have so many different points of view and that, you know, you can argue your point of view with another person, but it doesn't do you any good. It, but, but, you know, trying to become connected more with, I think, with people uh, who come from different places and knowing that you know, people who look and act and think and speak completely different from me, but yet can be good people, mm. you know, can be hospitable, can be caring, can be fun and laughing. You know, th those are the kinds of things that says, you know, we all, the, the humanity of the world, we're all very, very, very similar. Mm -hmm. And that that should be a comfort to us rather than you know, some people who perceive that as a threat. Mm. Yeah. There have definitely been times where I think the way that you think about things and the way that you view theology has really rubbed up, rubbed off on me in ways that I didn't, like, I didn't really see. Because mm. I think listening to you talk like this, that's a lot of what <coughs> I think, too. And, like, think, little things that you said when I was little... You know, they kind of come back to me. Like, you always told Maddie and I, you know, 
we, we need to make it a priority in our life to do things for other people and to go into a field that serves others because that's kind of what is most fulfilling. And don't, don't think about what you want to be when you grow that's up. That's the one. Think about how am I going to contribute when I grow up. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Yeah. So a lot of stuff like that. And also, like, I know over the years I've kind of, you know, we'll sit and have a cup of tea and then I'll say, Dad, what do you think about this? And I'll ask you questions about religion or theology or what I believe and what you believe. I think we've had a lot of really productive conversations from that mm-hmm. and things that have kind of really formed my faith. <clears throat> yeah. You know, even without you pressing them on me or anything like that. You know, you never really said, sit down, we're going to talk about God. (laughs) It was just kind of a natural thing that came up. Well, I I think it's because, you know, in that kind of situation where you're actually having a dialogue with somebody, you know, it it is hard to express what you want, what you believe. I think a lot of people get confused with expressing beliefs Mm. for expressing opinions. So I think a lot of people think, I'm telling you what I believe, but that's actually an opinion about something. Mm. Whereas actually being able to sit down and say, this is what I believe, I think it has to be done in a safe space Mm. where the people who are in that dialogue with you have to be willing to to hear what it is that, that you're saying. And so I think in the context of a family, it's easy to talk about beliefs, but I think when you get <clears throat> out into the world, more people uh, would prefer to talk about their opinions rather than what they really, truly believe. I can see how, you know, other cultures of being in, immersed in other ways of thinking have kind of formed your beliefs in, in that distinction between belief and opinion. Yeah. You know, because it's easy to talk opinions, I think, with people like you, but it's harder to talk beliefs with people who are completely different from you. Mm-hmm. So you end up, you know, sitting down with a lot of people in a lot of different places. You'll sit down and talk to someone who's Muslim, and you'll have to exchange those beliefs in a way that's respectful if you want to get, yeah. you know, anywhere in your relationship with them or in your relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> cool. What first drew you to Idlewild and what keeps you here? Hmm. Well, you know, obviously Idlewild is just a beautiful building. And it's just, it's historic, it's significant, you know. But I actually think uh, part of the beauty of the building, and it's not, it's not like a shallow thing, it actually has significance. So I think, you know, that, that first year we... We stopped over in England on our way from West Africa back to the United States. And we stopped in England. We went to Oxford. And our our friends had said, you should go to Evensong at Christ Church. And and I think when we went there, you know, we had been... (coughs) We had been at home in Togo for, you know, three years, I think. And this was our first really big trip. And I think going there, I think what I experienced in Evensong with the singing 
and just the listening, you know, we were very tired, we were very worn out. It was also a different place. It was new. But what I do think is that that was a time where I felt very filled up. Hmm. Like the church, the building, the choir, the singing, all of those things that we do, I felt filled up by those things. Mm -hmm. Because I think having served so much in Togo was very emptying. It was very tiring. You poured yourself out a lot. And, you know, just actually having felt filled up. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of, I think, changed my point of view about, I think, why you go to church. And I think for a long time, uh, I looked at going to church as, you know, fellowshipping with other people, you know, for for the benefit of being a part of God's kingdom. Kind of a duty in some ways. A duty, but also it's it's part of your nature. It's just mm -hmm. what you feel compelled to do. And I think after that experience of Evensong in, in England, it kind of changed my thoughts about, you know, the, the, the need for not just being in church, but the need for church to be significant, mm -hmm. you know, and and I think for for many years after that, I felt more and more frustrated when, when church felt insignificant, as in you know maybe people didn't really care about being there. People weren't fully invested in in the worship time or whatever. And then I think coming to Idlewild and seeing a, a wholehearted investment in what what the service is supposed to be mm. that felt more like what I experienced to even song mm. and I think when we visited I just kind of had that you know that that real you know that that instinct that says this is a good thing mm. this is what you need so so yeah I think it was it, it had a lot to do with a previous experience but then uh, being able to say I'm comparing that experience with the experience that I grew up with mm -hmm. and realizing that what I grew up with was no longer meeting my my felt needs mm -hmm. you know my emotional needs as much as that one experience in England did you know there's something beautiful about going to a church where you know, people will hold up a poster of some of the pastor's head the day yeah. that he retires. Mm -hmm. um, there's something very joyful about that that is hard to dismiss. Yep. <laughs> okay, we're kind of switching topics now. Okay. We're going to talk about the pandemic a little. All right. Um, wear a mask. Yeah, <laughs> wear a mask. Um, so the first question, how has the pandemic impacted your life? Uh... I would say, you know, to begin with, in the same way it's impacted everyone, you know. The nature of a pandemic is that it affects every single person on the planet. So no one gets to escape the pandemic. So, you know, in a way, you know, that that is something that will, I, I hope, would draw people closer together, that 
sense of we are mutually uh, suffering through this pandemic, you know, and it's something that would maybe break down some of the barriers between people. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I think I'm probably like a lot of people going from, wow, I love all the free time that I have and I'm getting a lot of stuff done and, you know, fixing up things around the house and working in the garden and to the other extreme of, you know, I'm tired of being at home, I'm feeling anxious and, you know, not sure what the future holds. And so, you know, I I would say, I would say the pandemic hasn't necessarily changed me. You know, I've told other people, you know, when we were in Togo in West Africa, we lived through a pandemic or an epidemic before. That's when I was really little though, right? Uh, you were nine or 10. Oh, really? Yeah. It was the meningitis outbreak. It's the one where Olivier died. Oh. Yeah. He died during that pandemic. I remember getting, um, a shot for something. Yeah. It was for meningitis. It was for meningitis. And that was the difference between that epidemic and this one. You know, the government went around and gave everybody a booster shot, you know, and we got our shots and everybody else got their shots mm-hmm. and I think we we stayed home I want to say maybe three weeks at the most. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah so we just stayed at home and stayed in the house. And Was that the thing where they had the crosses that they would put not the crosses but like the X's they yeah. would put on people's mm-hmm. doors? Yeah to show that they had vaccinated the people in those houses. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do, I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know we were living through an epidemic at that time. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, we had that experience, but they also had a vaccine, right? Mm. And so we knew, oh, this isn't going to go on forever. Right. This is different. You know, it's affecting the entire world. We don't know when it's going to end. So I think that causes a lot of anxiety. So, like, for for us, for, like, Mom and I and you and Maddie, our point of view is different because it's like, well, it's not the first time we've done this. But it's definitely the longest we've ever done this. Definitely feels new. Yes, it does. How has your understanding of and experience of church evolved in the pandemic? That That's definitely something that I will say I didn't, I didn't expect Mm -hmm. and then you know realizing that yeah it has bothered me Mm -hmm. uh maybe there at the beginning I was like oh Sunday I don't even know what day of the week it is it could be Sunday it could be Wednesday (laughs) all the days are mixing together but then I think after after a few weeks I started realizing that you know I do miss going to Idlewild on Sundays. I I do kind of want to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it wasn't so much about being around people, but it was about being in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, for, for so many years we did church at home. We did you know, small churches, you know, with just mm-hmm. a few people and things like that. And I think part of what uh, what has changed is recognizing that I, I go to Idlewild for the worship, mm-hmm. not so much for the people. I do like the people there, 
but you know if if yeah if if like we would go next week or something like that and there's only 20 people there I would be all right because it is something about being in the environment I think what what has changed in me because of that pen because of the pandemic is recognizing that as I get older I have less and less of an ability to put myself in a worshipful state of mind than what I used to be able to. Hmm. So kind of like, uh, you know, like you, you warm up before a, a sports game or something, you know, and that gets you ready to play. Uh, I don't feel like I can warm up as much to go to church anymore. So I think for me, it, it is more of a, I need to be in, need to put myself in that environment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think uh, one of the things, though, that I do struggle with is that putting myself then in more of the social stuff, theology on tap or, right. you know, more than a meal. And, and I think I get uh, more shy about being in those kinds of environments than just being in the worship because I think those things uh, confront my introvertedness more than than going to the worship service. So, So, you know, in the sense the pandemic has reinforced my uh, introvertedness. Yeah. But at the same time, it's made me miss worship, which allows me to just be an introvert you know so i've i've definitely i have trouble with that same thing you and i are very similar in a lot of ways but especially in that one Mm -hmm. and actually being an intern this summer has made me kind of confront that a little bit because i do have to take part in things like um theology on tap and word on wednesday Mm -hmm. and things like that and even lead it um, I'm leading Word on Wednesday later this month. I think it's the 22nd. Um, I'd have to check that. Yeah. So it's definitely kind of pushed me into putting my thoughts and my faith and beliefs on display a little more, which can yeah. be kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, but and, I, oh, I, I think for me, like you said, putting things on display, I think that that was, that was the toughest part about working in Togo. Mm-hmm is always being on display right you know well not and not just from you know being on display by going to a church and working with them or teaching or preaching or whatever but you know just being on display from the moment you walk out of your house yeah. so well, you're you're in west africa yeah. and you're white yeah even white people in west africa if you see another white person on the street you're like who are they i haven't seen them before how do i not know them yeah mm-hmm they must be a PCV, Peace Corps volunteer. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I think you're, you know, you're right. It is hard to put yourself on display when that is something that does not come naturally, mm-hmm. you know, or it is something that takes a lot of emotional energy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have two more questions and a little less than maybe 10 minutes. All right. So... 
Where do you see Christ at work in your life at this time? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure if I have a good answer for that one. I think, well, I think for one, I do struggle a lot right now, Mm -hmm. waiting for things to happen Mm -hmm. and being impatient. So, you know, part of it is being stuck at home. You're not seeing things happen. And of course, you know, if you read the news, it's, it's just bad. You know, yeah. everything's, it's just, it's, it's just in bad shape. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I think part of it is kind of like struggling with the question, well, where is Christ right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the world needs, needs uh, the Messiah. And where is he? What's yeah. going on? And, and, and I think, you know, that would go back to, you know, the first question and that we discussed is kind of being able to go back and say, hey, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know where, where Christ is right now in the world and what he's trying to do. And it bothers me, but I don't have any answers. Right. But at the same time, I can be okay yeah. with not having that answer. So, like, how is Christ working in my life? I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But I'm also okay with that because I do know that things will be revealed in its own time. Yeah. I think if, you know, if we could look at it as, you know, from a different point of view, I mean, right now the world is being forced to swallow a huge pill of patience, you Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. And that nothing is happening as it should. Nothing is moving forward as it should. Yeah, it's it's like God's put prayer on auto respond and it it all just says just be patient. Yeah. Just be that's, patient, be patient. I think that's something that I've kind of noticed too is right now there's a lot of it seems like the world has slowed down and kind of stopped for a minute and God is kind of telling us like okay, you guys need to slow down, stop for a second and start thinking and reflecting about what you're doing and how the world is functioning right now and what you need to do to fix it. So I'm going to pause, you know, the people who, you know, society basically, and I'm going to press play on all of these crazy events and crazy politics that are taking place to kind of maybe prompt people to realize that as difficult as it is for just the general public to take the reins over something like the way a country and even the world functions, it's time to stop and say, how do we fix this? Because it needs to be fixed, Mm. you know? Yeah. Well, I I think like going back to like the Psalms and I think it's Psalm 40. It's the Psalm that's also a U2 song. (laughs) So it's just the, the, the idea of how long is this going to keep going on. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that we don't know, we're not being told. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay to lament the fact that we don't know and this is out of our control. Right. But that's also the lesson to be learned. Right. Is that the world and everything in it is beyond our control. 
and that there are things that we just cannot fix mm-hmm. and kind of kind of like in a sense if we're in a situation where we can't fix what's going on and we just have to be patient mm-hmm. we have to be patient with the world but we also have to be patient with each other mm-hmm. that's the that's the kind of thing where i would say you know i i, I would i would hope that if I could say, okay, this is what God's trying to do. I think God's put us all in the same boat, the the pandemic boat. And he's saying, children, you've got to do a better job of getting along. Hmm. You know, you, you cannot divide up in these ideological camps Hmm. and say, you know, all of your stuff on the internet or or however it gets out there and think that whatever I say that they're that does it doesn't hurt somebody. Hmm. Well somebody somewhere is getting hurt, you know, by all of the things that are being said. And when one group of us suffers, we're all suffering. Yeah. And that should that should help give meaning to the reason why uh, we have to be patient right now. Yeah. Well, it just keeps on coming back to the things that you told me when I was little. Don't think about what you can, what you want to do. Think about how you can contribute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wise man right here. People <laughs> listening to this podcast. My dad. Good thoughts. Good ideas. <laughs> okay, this is the last question, and it's right. a big one. Okay. If you were stuck on a desert, deserted island... What three things would you want with you? That's easy. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Three things. Number one, Mama. <laughs> Number two, Maddie. Number three, Michael. Oh, that's very I, sweet. I could live and breathe and do everything that I need to do on a desert island if I had my family with me. Oh. <laughs> See, I probably would have said a really good book first, but um, if you, you know, can have three but, you know, if all four of us were there, we wouldn't need books because we would be telling some incredible stories. That's true. You know, if, we, if all we could do was tell stories to entertain ourselves, I think we would have a pretty good time. So. It's true. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm going to stop there. Thank you for letting me interview you. Well, thank you for having me. This is the first time I've ever been on a podcast. Me too. All right. Well, I hope we did it right. I hope so. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of God in the Wild. If you would like to be involved, whether through leading an interview or nominating someone whose story you would like to hear, please contact me, Elizabeth Doolin, at edoolin at idlewildchurch.org. May God be with you out in the wild.